Well, here we are ready to go into Luke chapter 1. I think we're all excited. We could tell last week how excited Luke was when, when we read the intro and how he said, uh, I just love what has happened to me. And, and so, Theophilus, I want you to know what I know. And, and even though I didn't walk at that exact time, I investigated thoroughly. I talked to people who were eyewitnesses at the time. And so I, I just have to share this with you. So you can, you can sense his excitement. You can, it, you can just sense his joy from a transformed life. And I think that we all should feel this. And Luke is going to be that kind of study. It's going to keep uplifting us and pointing us back to Jesus and what he came to do. And so Luke starts, he starts by saying in verse 5, he says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, he sets the tone by kind of letting us know that atmosphere, the mood of how the government is, and because all he has to do is say that it is Herod, king of Judea at that time, and we know that Herod is kind of like a title name for a king, but he, is, he was notorious for um, being just mean and nasty and cruel and had no value for others' lives, just his own. He was Herod the Great. He was the Herod that, that said and pronounced the killing of all baby boys under two when Jesus was born. I mean, you just wonder how a person could be like that. Well, he is at the helm at this time. And so that's, that's the ruling, um, that's the governing body. But then it goes on to say there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. In those days, the priests, there were many, many priests. And the priest line started when, uh, with, with Moses' brother Aaron. And it says that Elizabeth, too, was a descendant of Aaron. So, you know, they were a very religious couple. They loved the Lord. They served the Lord greatly. And, and he was a priest, and he was a part of the division. And the priesthood was divided into 24 divisions. I suppose that would keep order and keep, keep how, to, how to take turns, because serving in the temple was such an honor. And so I'm sure they, they did this this way. And so now it was division Eight's turn, and it so just so it happened that that Abijah was the one who was who had been in charge of Division Eight. So that's what it said. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. He was King Rehoboam's son years and years prior. He was Solomon's grandson. So he was kind of the head, the name of Division Eight, and and says both of them were upright. I mean, just look at their heart. Look at their character. I mean, Luke must have really investigated. What were those two people like anyway? Because I'm sure the question for Luke was, is the same one for us of all the hundreds and hundreds of people, Jews, that were waiting for this moment of, of Christ 
being born and getting near that time. And so why were these two picked? Why was Mary picked? You know, I, I don't know the exact answer, but I think I'm close. I, I would dare say because learning the character of God, he, he's not impressed with exterior. He is, he is so conscientious and he is so looking at the heart condition. God always looked at the heart. And, and so when Luke describes them, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They were good folk. They were good people. They loved the Lord. But what a lesson for us to see here that you can love the Lord with your whole heart and you can serve him greatly, and yet that doesn't guarantee that life is going to be smooth, that life is going to go just the way you want. Because look what it says, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both well along in years. The one thing that they wanted so was a child. And Elizabeth wasn't able to have one. And, you know, it is, it's even terrible today when a, when a couple so desires to have a baby and, and something happens in their bodies that they can't for whatever reason. And, and yet the stigma back in those days, I mean, I'm... I'm so glad we don't have this today, but, but back then, uh, a woman's children were her crowning glory. I mean, that, that proved her, her worth. She, that was her job. That was her main reason for being alive. And when, when, a, when a young woman could not have children, it was just a stigma that would permeate among the town and the people and especially to other women. Can you, can you imagine that they thought that if some woman could not have a child, there probably, more than likely, there was some hidden sin or some huge flaw. And because of that, there were whispers and mockery and, and elbow jabbing and and it was just not easy. It was bad enough not to be able to have a child, but then to have all this kind of persecution or abuse going on and having, you know, having people talk about you like this. Well, once when Zachariah's division was on duty, so see, it was, it was um, the section number eight, it was division number eight's turn, and he was serving as priest before God, and he was chosen by lot, and that was according to the custom of the priesthood. And, and I wanted to investigate, what does that mean? And not only was he now in division eight, but there still was many priests in division eight. And there was only three lots chosen to do the work in the temple. And it was a wonderful and, well, you know, very much oh, uh, an opportunity that every priest wanted. In, in, so they cast lots on who would go in and do what. Well, the first lot that they would cast was, um, it was like, you know, when you hear... 
um, in a pageant or something that say the third runner-up and even though it's an honor to be third runner-up it wasn't the main it wasn't the most highlighted most wanted job but hey they they didn't care the 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 third runner-up had to take in cleaning cleaning supplies and had to clean the altar and then get the fire ready for the sacrifice. So not real, you know, not real um, beautiful job, you know, and now when you're both glamorous jobs, but it had to be done, and they were, whoever was chosen was very honored to do it. Then second runner-up, lot number two, this is what his job would be. His job would be to get the sacrifice and then to kill it and sprinkle the blood over the altar. That was second place. That was lot number two. And then first run, the first, the main prize was the lot n number three, but yet it was the main job, and that was to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And that was, that was the one everybody wanted to do. And I, it kind of brings me to that verse where the Lord loves a fragrant offering. When our lives are a fragrant offering, it's, it puts out this beautiful aroma. And so this is what Zachariah's job was to do that day. And he was going to burn the incense in the temple. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So they must gather because they know what, a, what an extraordinary experience and what's going on at that time and the sacrifice is being offered and the fragrant offering is, is being, being raised up to the Lord. And, and they're outside worshiping and praising the Lord. And during that time, Luke goes on in verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. I mean, this had to be, and it says that he was very startled and he was gripped with fear. I'm sure that was a surprise because we're not just talking a little cherub angel with little wings and, you know, real cute. I mean, we're talking a major archangel who was sent from God and all of a sudden appears right at that altar when Zechariah is ready to put up the incense, to burn those incense. And that angel said to him, because uh, I'm sure he had the look on his face, and the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. You know, when you read a chapter every day, when you read the same chapter every day, which is your assignment, you you will find certain sentences will come out on one day that didn't another. And, and here, here is one of them. All of a sudden, I, I was reading, and, and it just hit me like the Lord heard their prayer. And I thought, when those two, because look at, we read their characteristics. They loved the Lord. They served him for many, many years and in their younger days when they were in 
in child-producing ages. They were praying, Lord, can you just hear their passionate, fervent prayer? Lord, we want a child. And it got me thinking again about prayer. Sometimes I think we, we think prayer is for the Lord's benefit. And sometimes we have to almost tell him the situation. And that's ridiculous. And then maybe sometimes we think, well, um, we don't have to tell him, but maybe we just need to remind him. And that's, that's not necessary either. So if the Lord knows and his will, he's going to accomplish his will anyway, why even pray? And prayer is for us. It is, it is a gift. It is a gift that has been given to us so that we can stay connected that our spirit can stay connected to God's Holy Spirit. And then we can hear him. We can be reminded of what we've learned. We can get direction. We can sense his peace. We can believe that his will is perfect. What a different way we could handle situations if we stayed connected to the Lord and heard his voice instead of our own. And another thing about prayer is that we don't always get a yes answer. And many times we, we say, oh, the Lord answered my prayer. And that generally means that we got what we wanted. But sometimes he doesn't give us what we want, but he's still answering our prayer. He's just saying no. I mean, have you ever, have you ever taken a minute to think back and now that you are at this place, you can look and say, oh, am I ever glad he said no to that request? Did he ever know better? My whole life would be different if he would have given me what I wanted. And it wouldn't have been a good thing. And, and I don't mean to be frivolous or silly, but it, what comes to my mind is when I was, when I was younger in my late teens and I, I was dating this wonderful guy and I thought we were just perfect for each other. And I, we had so much in common I mean, he had sung a children's Bible hour too, and so I just really felt that, oh, this was a marriage made in heaven. This is just going to be wonderful. And never did I think that the day would come when he would say to me, no, this, you're just not what I feel um, I'm looking for. And, and I mean, he dumped me, if you want to know the, the bottom line. He dumped me, and I was devastated. I, I am just not a, with a little girl school girl crush. I was devastated. And I, I couldn't imagine my life without him. I had planned my future with this man in mind. And now he's gone. He's totally gone out of my life. And I love to look back at that. And yes, even remember the hurt and the pain and the devastation. But then I break into a smile because 
The Lord wasn't out to make me miserable. He was just saying, no, you're wrong on this one. I have someone better for you. One that will, that will allow you to be who I've created you to be. And I just, that's just one story in my personal life that if he hadn't said no, what a mess I would be in. But instead, I'm able to, to be who I am, do what I do, I, have the children I have, have the grandchildren I have. And I mean, everything would have been different. The Lord knew. Sometimes he loves us too much to give us what we want all the time. The no is the answer. And then in this case, can't you just picture when they were fervently praying for a child? And because the Lord is so loving, I'm sure he felt bad, but yet I think he, he was saying, oh, if they only knew what's coming. I know it'd be so easy to, to allow them to have a child with everybody else, and, but I have so much more planned and the timing isn't right. So the third way he answers prayer, and he is answering, he's saying, not now. You wait. I have something better. But that is so encouraging when you hear that, you know, because maybe they stopped praying when, they, when their bodies became so old that they knew that, that they, you know, humanly possible, weren't able to conceive anymore. And so they probably just thought, well, that was the Lord's will that we serve him without, without a child. And, and yet they didn't, they continued to serve the Lord, even though they didn't get what they wanted because they trusted the Lord had, had a better plan. I'm sure they were still, they were still hurt, but they at least put one foot ahead of the other and continued loving and serving the Lord. What a lesson. What good, strong-hearted believers those two were. Well, the angel goes on and says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Now, there it is. And another day in my studying, all of a sudden, this word came out. I think this is why the Lord was very upset with Zechariah, because he was older. He has been around the block. He has watched the Lord work, and, and he has seen that God has a plan. And he does know the scriptures. And yet... Even though the angel made it very clear, and the word that, I, I, that just jumped off the page was, your wife, Elizabeth, will. Not maybe, well, I will hope it works, kind of thing. No, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. I mean, just cut and dry, that's it. And then the angel goes on to say what, what instruction they need to follow and what all John 
is going to do, what his mission for the Lord is going to be. He will be a joy and a delight to you and to many. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. What what um what news? I mean, not only were they gonna have a child, but he was sent. He's got a, a mission from God Almighty. The key, the key here, and you're gonna see it in in these lives of this chapter. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no room for you. And if you and I would only realize that that's such a good thing, that we should always be longing to be filled with the Holy Spirit because all of us have something that we have to deal with. And what a difference in how we deal with our something, whether we're filled with the Holy Spirit or we're filled with our own self desires and wants. And he said, your son is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. And then look, many, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. It looks like that they're living in a day and age just like we are. When people are going their own ways, no matter if they even call themselves Christian. Here, the Israelites, they were just following their, their own selfish whims, and they've gotten off track. And John was going to be used to bring them back into the fold. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. That is maybe a line that we can easily go over, but maybe I'm getting a little more like Luke. I want to investigate why, why whoever told Luke this, why did they compare John the Baptist to Elijah, that he would have the spirit and the power of Elijah? I went back into 2 Kings 17 and 18, just to kind of review a little bit about what was Elijah like. You know, he was an everyday man. I mean, he didn't graduate top of his class from prophet school. I mean, one day he got a call from the Lord. The, the Lord said to him, Elijah, I want you to go. And he said he gave a distinct place, and it was kind of a deserted place. I'm starting to realize that the Lord does his best work when we have no distractions. He can teach us the most when we are just concentrating on him. And sometimes as much as we dislike the desert time, he can do his most powerful work in our hearts so that we grasp him, cling to him, desire to know him better. 
required to obey. See, this is another thing that the Lord is always testing us on. Are you willing to listen to my word because it doesn't change? My promises are for real. And when I say I will, I do it. And he will test us to make sure that we really do believe that. Not just with our flippant religious theology, but we really do believe he is who he is. And when he speaks, he means it. And when he says go, he wants and expects us to go. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. And how many times do we think it's just a suggestion and I'd rather not, so I don't. I shudder to think how much I've missed. Because if Elijah hadn't said yes to that call of God to go to this desert area, uh, I, I can't even put it into words. How everything too would have been so different. But he did go. God said to him, I know it doesn't look like you have any food or water or anything like that. He says, but I will see to it that the ravens bring you every morning and evening bread and meat. Isn't that something? I mean, what kind of miracle is that? That raven, a big raven, will bring to you bread and meat every morning and night. And even in this dry area, there will be a brook where you will always be able to have water. So the Lord and Elijah had a time together. And at just the right time, then, then God said, okay, Elijah, it's time to move. And I want you to go to a little town called Zarephath. And Zarephath was uh, a little town that was was kind of in the middle of Sidon. And if you know anything about Sidon from Scripture, it is not a nice place. It's evil. And when I looked about, when I looked it up about Sidon, it was, that land, that territory was owned by Jezebel's father. So when you have evil pagan people like Jezebel and her family, you can about imagine what kind of town this is. Well, the Lord's instruction to Elijah was to go to this town inside on Zarephath. And there he would meet a widow. And he was to ask this widow for a drink of water and for food. Now, that's quite a request. I mean, that's quite a, uh, maybe not a request. It was a command. That's what I want you to do, Elijah. And he did it. He went. I'm sure he had many things going on in his mind, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be there. I don't know if I'm supposed to be rubbing elbows with people like that. But God said, and he believed and obeyed God's word, and he went, and there was this widow. I'm sure there were humpteen other widows there, but he knew the one to go to because God led, her, led him to her. So he said to this woman, um, would you please, you know, would you give me a drink, and would you, would you give me some food? And, and the woman just looked at him, I'm sure, and said, oh, uh, 
we, you know, we haven't had rain, so water is scarce, and, and uh, I just have a little bit of grain and a little bit of oil, and I was going to make our last meal for my son and I. And then we have nothing, so we were just going to give up and die. And Elijah says to her, See, this is good from training in the desert. He looks at her and he says, no, I want you to do it. I want you to, to make me some food. But then I, I want you to watch and see what happens to your grain and to your oil. It will never be used up. Now, that all sounds well and good because we know the story, but if you were that widow and you have some stranger telling you to, to use your last little bit of, of grain and oil and to give it over and, and then to say something like, this sounds a little corny or even hocus-pocus. Ooh, magic. And that, that won't ever deteriorate. I mean... Are you really going to believe that? It sounds a little ridiculous. But she too believed. I love that. She believed and she did make that food for Elijah. And she watched her grain and oil not even go down in those containers. But well, well, look what she had missed if she hadn't believed and really surrendered and was obedient. Yeah, the story would have been a whole lot different for her and her son. Well, it, it, it did happen that her son got sick and, and he died. And she was very upset and came to Elijah and, and said, you know, what's this all for? I mean, she just, how can you do that? I mean, how could, why would this happen? And Elijah erased that young man from the dead. Now I'm starting to see, oh, John the Baptist, you are to be like Elijah with his spirit, with his belief, with his obedience, and with the power that he was filled with. I was reminded of that verse in Ephesians 3. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than what you and I could ever imagine or think. And how, what, how does he do that? He does it with the power that he's instilled within us. Yeah, he does it through the power that he puts inside of us. We can, if he says do it, and we think we can't, there is a power within us that should motivate us forward and that we are willing to comply, to be obedient. It's not us doing it. It's the power that's within us, given to us by God himself. And he will, and he will, Go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Now you can see that he's got a job and it's going to be a job that's going to take the right spirit and the right kind of power. John is going to watch his faith grow. Do you know that your faith grows when you step out and exercise your faith? 
And then when you watch the Lord work in your faith, then it will give you more courage and more strength to walk out again and again and again. And you watch your trust and your belief in the Lord grow and grow. I mean, Elijah was even able to face Ahab. And he was the worst king of Israel. He was married to Jezebel. He had turned the Israelites to worship of Baal. And, and Elijah had, because now, by now, he is just so convinced that God has got his hand on him. And he stands before Ahab and says, you know what, the people have got to decide. It's either going to be God Almighty or it's going to be Baal. Well, you know the contest that it happened. If you don't, then oh, read Second Kings 17 and 18. God's power came through, but it took obedience and, and trust and belief for Elijah to stand up and, and work that one. But he knew his God. Now, John is, you know, the, it's so typical. Then, now, you know, the world has such a hook in us. And if we do not have God's power in us, that hook just pulls us off the track. Apparently, even back then, they, need a, they needed the family unified. It says that, that John will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Do you remember the day when, when there was a mom and a dad and children and sat around the table and, and talked and shared and, and studied and learned? I mean, apparently it happened then as it's happening now, the deterioration of the family. And that's the backbone. And when that shattered and everybody's going in their own direction, what do you expect? So one of John's jobs was going to show families, show fathers, bring their hearts back. And also the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Oh, they think they're so smart going in their own directions, doing their own thing, but they're just being so disobedient, doing exactly the opposite of what God has asked them, called them to do. They think they're so smart. And yet they're disobedient and they need to be brought back to God's wisdom and be brought back to living right again. And then to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make people ready. When Luke wrote this, he was talking about, he was talking about, because he investigated, get people, get the Israelites, because it's been hundreds of years. And they have just kind of forgot. They've lost their passion of looking and getting ready for the promised Savior, the promised Messiah. And John's job was to say, he's coming. The promise is going to be fulfilled we are now living in that time. And look at today's world. Are they, I think even church people, are they, when is the last time they really thought about, am I ready to meet the Lord? 
I mean, I know I grew up and at least it was talked about, you know, like when, you know, we couldn't do a whole lot like going to movies. And I remember the first movie that my mom and dad let me go to was Mary Poppins. And I mean, it doesn't get any more innocent than that. And yet I didn't even enjoy it because I was so sure the Lord was going to come back when I was in that evil theater. Now, I know we laugh about that, but really we should because... I, w I wish that our children were, were thinking about their lives and what they were doing or what they were saying or who they were with or whatever. Because the Lord is coming back. Now, it came the first time to save the world, but he's coming back the second time to judge the world. It is serious. It is very serious. Now, this was quite an announcement from that angel. In Zechariah, in verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I mean, he, the angel couldn't have made it more plain. He couldn't have made it more direct. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son, and his name will be John, and these are the instructions for you, but then this is what your son's mission is going to be. And Zechariah comes, ah, I don't know. I mean, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> I had to laugh. He didn't, he didn't say she was old. He called himself old, but he didn't call her old. He just said, and she's well along in years, at least in my version. Made me laugh. Well, you know, that wasn't funny. It really wasn't. And, and God looked at that as doubt and questioning him. And he doesn't take kindly to that. In fact, he's going he's gonna to make sure Zechariah never forgets. So the angel answered. And here is when we know who the exact angel is. I am Gabriel. And I would dare say his voice was not a little squeaky thing. Gabriel was an archangel. He had high rank. He's going to say it, but I, I saw that Gabriel was used in Daniel a couple of times. I think Gabriel was the angel that God used when a message had to be brought and it had to be made clear. And he did make it clear. He said, I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news I think if you read, read between the lines a bit, you would almost hear Gabriel say, you should be ecstatic. You should just be thrilled. You should be jumping up and down. And yet, instead, you doubt. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So there. You're not going to be able to speak till this thing happens. Now, you would think that that meant as soon as John was born, he would automatically get his voice back. But we're going to see 
that the Lord is still working. Meanwhile, people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he had stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to make to them, but remained unable to speak. You know, that had been quite a sight. You know, they were there probably waiting for Zechariah to come out with all of his robes and his authority and all of, all of you know, and to hear about this experience and, and praise and worship and it, and instead, here comes a man who probably whose robes are are kind of messed up, and and his white his face is probably a, a little whitish, grayish. And then and then he's doing all these signs with his hands, and he can't speak. And you know, it just must have been the opposite of what they were expecting. It, it was a sight. Verse 23, it, it kind of made me smile because it said, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. Now, he is an old man, and, there, and I can, you know, in my human nature, I can see why he questioned. I mean, he's saying we're old. Our bodies aren't working the way they used to. And so it's not even realistic. So, I mean, this doesn't make sense. And yet in verse 23, it says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And, you know, all I can think of, because it says in verse 24, and after, after this, after he came home, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. I'm thinking, way to go, Zechariah. Because, you know, this isn't the virgin birth. This is going to have to happen the normal way, and yet this was far from normal. Their bodies weren't working anymore. And yet God saw to it. I just, I just love the way God just understands not only us, but our bodies. And, and he was determined when God has a purpose, he makes way. It says, Elizabeth remained in seclusion for five months when she realized she was pregnant. She went into seclusion. I, I think that this probably shows not only maybe she was a quiet person, maybe she was very submissive to her husband, maybe, you know, she wasn't a loud mouth. She, and I think also she had been so abused by women that her safety was just, just, I'm just going to stay home. I mean, it wears on you. I don't care even if she was past the years of bearing children. They still thought she, because she didn't have children, she, there had to be something in her life. And I'm sure they never let up on it. And so for five months, I think she just secluded herself to bask in this miracle. In her quiet way, she just wanted to be with the Lord who made this possible. Because look at it, verse 5. She gave all credit. I mean, she, she said, even though she was alone, she, she used these. Someone told her, maybe it was Elizabeth that told Luke. 
I don't know who told Luke, but he wrote it down to make sure that we saw that Elizabeth, even in her seclusion, she said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. See, it shows she still was hurt. And the Lord had delivered her from this. And she was just praising him. Now his favor, what does his favor mean? You see it a couple times. And his favor is anything that he does in our lives that no one else could have done. When, when you read his favor, it's only God could do this. You know, it's so good every now and then to take a second and think how God has worked in your life and my life, and only he could have done this. There's no other way to say it. When his favor is on you so that he does something, produces something in your life that only he could do. No one else could. Then the story shifts. It says in verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel. Here he comes. Here he comes again. And this is an, this is an important announcement also. In fact, if we ever get a chance when we're in glory and we can actually speak to Gabriel, and if we ever asked him, what was your favorite mission? Even though we knew everyone was important, everyone was, was sent by God, I would, I would dare say, oh, when I went to Mary and told her she was going to bear the savior of the world. So on the, in the sixth month, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth in the town of Galilee. Oh, Nazareth. This is, you've heard this over and over, but it bears repeating because I think we need to be reminded that how the Lord will use people from wherever, whoever, and here is this little town that we know in Scripture, it's been voiced, does anything good come from Nazareth? But wouldn't that, that's just so typical of God, then that's exactly where I'm going to bring the Savior from. And so it says, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, I mean, this has all been prophesied. This is just such a fulfillment of what was prophesied. In fact, I mean, you go back to Isaiah and Jeremiah and hundreds of years before, and you will, you will hear words like this from Jeremiah 23. The days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will, rise, I will raise up to David a righteous branch, capital B, a king, capital K, who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. His name will be called the Lord, our righteousness. 
So it is, this has been told for hundreds of years, and now we're seeing it absolutely come into full truth, every detail. And this gal, this gal, her heart, and we're going to see from these next few verses, oh, the Lord handpicked her. Her heart was so innocent and so pure. She knew her Bible. She knew the scriptures. But she knew that she was just a plain, ordinary girl from no big city, no big, no, no, no big name of any kind. Her name was Mary. That even sounds like a, a, a name used often. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, verse 29 said, Mary was greatly troubled. Now, remember, she doesn't know why the angels come to her. She hasn't received the message. She has no idea what she's troubled about is the fact that the angels said that you are highly favored and the Lord is with you. I'm sure she was thinking, why me? I, I'm a nobody. I'm just plain. She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You've been highly favored by God. You will be with child and give birth to his son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end Remember we heard those words last year in, in Daniel chapter 2? After Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and we talked about it last week a bit, but, you know, the, once Babylon, the world power was, was taken down, and then the next world power, Medes and Persians, Persians that, that kingdom was taken down. The Greek empire was taken down. The Roman empire, that's what they were living in, at the time of Jesus, but eventually we know that after 500 years, the Roman Empire went down. But Daniel goes on and says, and it kind of reminds us of today. Now, we don't live under Roman rule, but, you know, we still are under government rule. And sometimes in the world government, you can see that there are leaders that, that think they're invincible, that, that they're almost gods. And we need to be reminded to not get shook because God's word is so standing firm and that these world powers that have been made by human men and women and who've, who've thought themselves gods themselves, they're going down. And while this is all happening on earth, God is raising up a kingdom 
a kingdom that his children will belong to. And if you've gone to the cross of Christ and you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've humbled yourself and realized you can't do it without him. Only he can save you from your sins. If you have made that walk, then you can know today and not question or doubt. You can know you belong to that kingdom that he is raising up. And that kingdom will have no end. Boy, that, that is a hallelujah thought, isn't it? In verse 34, she comes back with a question, and, and maybe you thought, well, how come she gets away with her? How will this be? And Zechariah didn't. I don't know for sure, but again, knowing God the way we do, I think there's a time when God says, you know what? You're older now. You should know better. You should know you have, you have seen, you've, you've, you've been a part of, you've experienced. There shouldn't be doubt anymore. But I think even more importantly, even though she's young, I think he could see in her heart that this was such an innocent question, not doubting God, but again, my mom just, told me how these things work and and I think she probably was a little concerned I'm I'm engaged to Joseph but we haven't done anything we're good kids God saw her heart and so when she says how can this be I'm I am a virgin and the angel answered this is what was the answer to Mary's question. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, don't you think those words alone would have raised another thousand one questions? Like, what in the world do you mean? What the Holy Spirit is going to come upon. Am I going to see it? Am I going to feel it? How am I going to know the Most High is going to overshadow me? What in the world? It, there was no answer. This, is ne this never happened before. There, there's been no other experience like this ever. And she never comes back with any other answer than what she does. It says here, the Holy One, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary comes back with, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I mean, what an answer to a thousand one questions that I'm sure she had. I saw this answer. I see her calm demeanor, even as a young girl. A young girl who is totally at peace with her God because she has been taught and she believes 
that she was created for God's purpose, not her own. And I can't help but think about people who are so not at peace. I mean, it shows they're frantic, they're stressed, they're just running around, they're, they're overwhelmed. Life is just too much. And they have an ounce of peace. And it's so visible. And the reason why it's visible on the outside is because they have no peace on the inside. And the reason why there's no peace on the inside is because they do not have peace with their God. And the reason why I know that so clearly because we were just given the, the picture of it right now. A brand new scenario. Nothing like this has ever happened before. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm here to do whatever he has asked me to do. She's at peace with her God. What a great way to live and to think that we can have that same kind of peace. Mary is now, remember, she's from Nazareth. She's just a plain young gal. So that means that this is possible for you and me as well, to live in that kind of peace, no matter what is called upon us in our lifetime. Okay, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Do you believe that God knows who to put in our lives at just the right time. Right person, right place, right time. Don't you think that, that right now um, this was the perfect time to get Mary out of town? God knows. He knows exactly. And he sends her to Elizabeth for three months I think we are going to see such a change in this young woman in those three months. She goes with a thousand one questions in her mind, but yet she's obedient, but still she's a human young girl, and she is wondering, how is this going to happen? I mean, she should be screaming, are you crazy? Do you realize what this is going to do to my family, what it's going to do to me and Joseph? I mean, and yet we see just the opposite. We see her submissive. We see, we see her surrendered. I can't help but think of that old hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I mean, these words of that old hymn, this is what I see, and she gets to Elizabeth and yes, she's submissive and surrendered, but I think Elizabeth is going to help turn the lights of reality on to her and let her see and make her 
brave and strong so she can then go home and face what she's got to face because there isn't going to be one day that's easy. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here we go with that phrase again. And, and why would Luke be so sure that we see this, this change you know, before I told you that, I think she had been so hurt and she was just safer in her own home and it was easy for her to be quiet and secluded. And, and now we hear, it says, she's filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, I think this is totally out of her human character because it says she was filled with the Holy Spirit and in a loud voice, I don't know if Elizabeth ever, ever knew she had a loud voice before. I don't know. But I think the Holy Spirit really, really produced something in her. And out it came. And she exclaimed these words, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. The Holy Spirit has given Elizabeth, the insight of not only is Mary pregnant, but she's pregnant with a Christ child. And she says, blessed are you. And then verse 43, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I mean, you can see that, that Elizabeth's joy is just everywhere here. And yet, what do you think this is doing to Mary when she hears these words? I think it's starting to sink in. And she's starting to see this. this it, it's not going to be easy, but what an honor. What a privilege. Elizabeth explains to her, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. She has given Mary a big, huge compliment here. And it had to be very encouraging. Blessed are you for obeying, for saying yes, for being willing. Because in verse 46, all of a sudden we see this change. I think Mary, out of her then comes this expression, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I mean, she knows she's just going to be the vessel, the instrument to build, to produce this child and deliver it, to grow this child and deliver it. For he has been mindful of the humble state of this servant. See, she knows I'm nothing special. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And if you even had a split second thinking that this is where Mary turned cocky, you are so wrong. I mean, I think she's still trying to sink in the, this is what Gabriel said, this is what Elizabeth said. And then she comes right back and says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Again, she's understanding what this highly favored really meant. That God is just going to borrow her body. 
to produce the Savior. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Remember when I said a little while ago, Mary knew her Bible. And not only did she know her Bible, she, she lived it. She believed it so much that it just permeated her character and her thoughts, her words, her deeds. And remember, Mary is, Mary is nothing special except that God could see her willing heart. And that's what I think we need to look at. What does God see when he looks at our hearts? Could he use us too? Do we know and believe our Bible so much that it has made a transformation change and, and we believe that, that we are here for God's purpose, not our own? When he calls us to something, would we say, I am your servant, Lord. May it be as you say. Well, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And I do believe it was, and she had to face every day. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. A little change, huh? A little change in, their, in, in the way they're handling her. On the eighth day, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And Remember, he's not talking yet. I, I really thought that his voice came back when the child was born. But I, I think that God, in his wisdom, knows how to handle us so well. It didn't happen at that moment, at that moment that John was born. And maybe that was in Zachariah's mind, like, I thought this, as soon as the baby was born, I'd get my voice back. And apparently the Lord changed his mind, and, and uh, maybe I'm never going to talk again. I mean, he doesn't know. All he knows is what he had been told or what he had kind of thought in his mind. And so maybe for eight days, he's thinking, hey, hasn't happened yet, might not ever happen again. But oh, how the Lord knows what he's doing. Look, look what, look how Zechariah has changed. I don't see any more doubts or questions. He makes some gesture to get him a tablet. And he writes in very emphatic words, his name is John. 
And then immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. I think the Lord needed Zechariah to get to that point where there was no more doubt, no more question. All things are possible with the Lord. And he had finally, through all of this experience, and I think he had even accepted the fact he might not ever talk again, but boy, he was going to make sure they knew that his name is John. And the Lord said, there, that's what I wanted. He began to speak and he praised God and the neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about, it. oh, I bet they were. Everyone who heard this wondered about and asked, what then is this child, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. They're already starting to see it's going to be a unique one. God's got something up here. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now watch. Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's able now to say these words. And he starts by even talking about Jesus. And Jesus isn't even born yet, but all of a sudden, all the scriptures that he knows and has learned, he's seeing, it's true, and I believe it. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, this oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah said, our hope has come. All of what the prophets prophesied, I mean, you can just see, he has surrendered and it totally believes it. And then verse 76, he talks about his boy. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Now, isn't that what the angel told Zechariah John was going to do? And he had, well, I don't know, I don't quite. And, and now, look what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. When you are filled with the Spirit, and he helps you to see the truth and gives you the boldness to express it. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Jesus is going to come and John, you are going to prepare the way to bring light, to bring light in the darkness. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Quite an interesting verse. Not just the end to a big story here. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And did you notice where that happened? 
It happened when God put him in the desert. John, it's you and me. I'm going to teach you. You're going to learn. You're going to be filled. You're, you're, the Holy Spirit that's inside of you is going to show you that you can face the abuse that you are on point always, that your message will be repent, the kingdom of God is near. Point the way to Jesus. Get the people ready to receive their Savior. That time in the desert, I say it again, it's God's important time. I think he does his best work. And then he became strong in spirit. And I went back to 2 Timothy 1.7, where Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying to Timothy, you know, uh, you are going to be the one that's going to take my place. And I'm sure Timothy was overwhelmed with this because, I mean, he, he had such a different personality than Paul. He was raised so differently than Paul was. And so I'm sure even by his wondering, you know, I'm just not like you and I don't know how this could possibly be. And, you know, it, you know when, we're a little, when we're a little intimidated and when we're a little cautious, we have a tendency to get a little timid and we step back. And you remember Timothy was raised by his mom and grandma. You know, he, he loved his he loved his. Mom and Grandma Lois and Eunice so much, and he just had he just was different than Paul. And Paul said, "Timothy, I want you to know that no matter who we are, when God calls us, He does not give us the spirit of timidity. You do not have to stand back or put your head down to anyone. You know who you are in Christ Jesus. You can step forth with." a spirit of strength and power. He said these words, no, God didn't intend for, for you to be timid. He intended for all of his children to be filled with love and sense his power. And it's going to take self-discipline because temptation is luring. Human nature is a powerful force. And so the Lord says, not to be timid, but rather filled with love and power and with self-discipline. What a lesson. I hope you can search your heart and see where God really wants to work on you, that maybe this familiar story just really resonated with you in your heart in a certain area. I mean, that's what his word is for. It's a new day. It's not a new story, but we're all in a new place. And we need his word, a word that never changes. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for who you are. We praise your name today. We know your name is holy. We know your name is power. We know you, your name is strength. You are our stronghold that we can step out, not in timidity, but in love, the unconditional love of Christ. And we also can step out and be powerful for you. 
You give us strength to be able to carry on our days in the callings you've given us, and they're not always easy. Lord, may we be self-disciplined. We keep our Bibles open. We keep listening to your voice. Father, we don't want to miss a thing. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.